As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Hello there. Welcome to Progress After Dark. Hello to everybody listening live, our evil army of the night. You guys are always welcome to call us live anytime to gab about any of the subjects we're talking about or hijack the entire conversation with whatever's on your mind, believe it or not. Occasionally, people do that. And hello to everybody listening to uh, the John Fuglesang podcast, Sirius XM On Demand, and the Sirius XM app. Hello to our day walkers. We hope you're enjoying us on your treadmill or your walk or your workout or in your car. Uh, it's an honor. Thank you very much. We have a really packed show tonight. We have a really solid show tonight, and I'm so glad you could be with us. A couple things. There's a lot of announcements. Get those out of the way. William Shatner is coming back to the show. He joins the Three Timers Club. We're really thrilled. His new book is called Boldly Go. And it's a, it's a memoir about saying yes to things and being brave and taking risks. And it's way more endearing than it has any right to be. It's a terrific book. I'm excited to have Shatner back. He's 91 now and was just in space. Also uh, coming to the show in the next uh, couple of days, we'll be welcoming uh, Jennifer Tilly and Paul Feig and a lot of other great guests and surprises. This weekend, I am performing live in New Jersey with our friendly Ann Lord at the Hopewell Theater. I think it's a political show. It's being marketed as a political show, and it's a gorgeous theater in New Jersey. We played there right before the pandemic happened. Leanne and I were there with Scott Blakeman, who's on later tonight. We were playing the Hopewell. It's a gorgeous theater in New Jersey. And it was just just when COVID was beginning. We were starting to hear about it. My friend was there. Her dad died a couple months later. I had some folks in the audience there who later told me one of them had gotten sick and died a, a few months later. It was just the last time I had a normal show before the whole world shut down. And now I'm very thrilled we are heading back this Saturday, October 8th. Come see me and Leanne Lord at the Hopewell Theater in New Jersey, right near the Pennsylvania border. Tickets at hopewelltheater.com. Also, more announcements. We're going to have two of our favorite comedians joining us later tonight. The great Rhonda Handsome with the very funny Scott Blakeman. Along with me, they'll be doing the off-Broadway run of the new version of Laughing Liberally, which I headlined three years ago when it ran off-Broadway. It's a really fun show. Uh, a lot of y'all came down to see those dates, and they were a blast. I'm not producing this time. I'm just a hired gun, so I'll be doing various shows with Laughing Liberally on their indictment excitement run at uh, Theater 555 here in Manhattan. We'll be talking all about that later on. And of course, the challenges of doing political comedy when Americans are trying to kill each other and when there's a plague. Also, the sexy liberal comedy tour with Stephanie Miller, Hal Sparks, Frangeler, and myself is uh, got one date left this fall. We will be live in the Saban Theater in Los Angeles on Saturday, the 22nd of October. Our special guests that we've announced so far include Adam Schiff and Rob Reiner, more special guest to be announced, but I think Stephanie announced it this morning so I can come out and say it. If you can't make it to L.A. October 22nd, you can see the show without leaving your house. Yes, it will be available on pay-per-view, the Sexy Liberal Save Democracy Tour, our final night. You can watch it from the comforts of your own home. Go to sexyliberal.com. It's going to be a lot of fun, but there are still some seats left. Meet and greet is all sold out, but lots of regular tickets. And I don't think I need to say this more special guest to be announced. So, yeah, come see it live or stay at home and watch it live as it happens. All right. I think we're all set. Tonight's a big one. David Rothkopf returns to the show to talk about why Putin has to go. And he means now. 
So we got a lot going on tonight. Our number is 866-997-4748. Nearly 600,000 Florida homes and businesses are still dark today. About 60% of Lee County had no power. Water and electricity, they hope, will be restored in a couple of days to all homes and businesses and schools all over in southwest Florida. But folks, were you hit this weekend? And if you were hit, what was it like? Here in New York, we're getting pelted by the cold, wet, windy remains of Hurricane Ian right now, but I mean, almost a thousand miles away from Southwest Florida, Virginia had some of the worst flooding in more than a decade. And the death toll from Hurricane Ian has now topped 100 people just a few days after the storm ravaged both coasts in Florida. Lee County and Charlotte County provided upgraded figures today, and uh, they confirmed another 54 deaths in Lee County, which includes Fort Myers and Fort Myers Beach. So, Biden has announced a $60 million to help Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, what? Yeah, some people might forget. Puerto Rico was just hit really hard by a storm, and your right-wing friends might not want to admit it, but Hurricane Fiona that hit Puerto Rico caused a lot of damage, and Puerto Rico is part of America. During the storm damage in PR, the president promised aid and upgrades and acknowledged the U.S. has to do more for the island. Still... We have to do more. We have to ensure that when the next hurricane strikes, Puerto Rico is ready. Today, I'm announcing more than $60 million in funding to help coastal areas in Puerto Rico become better prepared for the storm. For example, we can create a flood warning system to help shore up levees and flood walls. In addition, there's nearly 700 million infrastructure investments in Puerto Rico that have already been announced since I signed the bipartisan infrastructure law last November. For example, we've awarded $90 million to upgrade PR2 highway, and we've announced $163 million million to begin construction on a canal to restore Cano, help me the pronunciation. Martin Peña. Martin Peña. Martin Peña. Uh, That entire ecosystem. And we're going to clean up polluted waters and restore mitigation habits mangrove habitat, mangrove habitats, and bring back marine life. And you're going to see investments like these increasing significantly in the months ahead. Wait a second. How is campaigning in Puerto Rico, how is helping those people going to help Joe Biden in the midterms? It's not. It's what good governance is about. It's what happens when a political party is about a little more than the acquisition of power. Meanwhile, Closer to home, the compromised, illegitimate Federalist Society picked band of bought and paid for meat puppets, plus three justices, returned to chambers today. The U.S. Supreme Court is officially seated for their new session. Uh, The offseason was perhaps the most contentious atmosphere for the court in recent history. By the way, have you heard much about John Roberts' heroic pick to find out who it was that leaked the Dobb decision? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? I, I don't. That's disappeared like... Baron Trump's college fund. We don't know whatever happened with the investigation, which is a pretty good sign it was someone conservative who leaked it. I think you know if it had been a liberal who leaked the Dobbs decision early, we'd know their names by now. But, you you know, it's been a rough time for the Supreme Court. Uh, People are very, very angry with them. They're taking a lot of criticism. Uh, It's really upsetting Supreme Leader Alito, all because they are bought and paid for meat puppets who have decided that throughout the country, rapists should be allowed to pick the mothers of their next children. Their approval ratings have gone to historic lows after the end of the last term. And now it's going to be another crazy one. We're going to have a ruling on affirmative action that could change the makeup of our universities. We're going to find out how where they weigh in on democracy itself today was an interesting day. There was a challenge to the COVID-19 mandate for health workers. These justices didn't want to hear it. They rejected it because making healthcare workers get a vaccine during a plague for the plague is not stupid. But the best part of the day at the Supreme Court, well, it's got to be Katanji Brown-Jackson, right? No, even better than that. Did you see they smacked down Mike Lindell? My pillow. Huckster was dealt yet another savage blow. Uh, The Supreme Court ruled that Dominion Voting Systems defamation lawsuit against Mike Lindell can proceed. They hit him with a one point three billion suit after his big public smear campaign to discredit 
the results of the 2020 presidential election. And the, what's the word I'm looking for? Prevarication? No, that's not it. Demonstrable falsehood? No, that, how about fucking lies? Fucking lies that Dominion's equipment intentionally rigged the vote count in Joe Biden's favor. Uh, they've sued him. He tried to get it dismissed. Today, the Supreme Court said, no, no, my pillow guy. This is your bed. You lie in it. In May, his own defamation lawsuit against Dominion and Smartmatic got thrown out of court because it was deemed to be frivolous. But today was the day that Katanji Brown Jackson served for her first day on the Supreme Court. The first time a black woman has gone to work as a judge in the highest court in the land. Sadly, her role will be reduced to writing dissents, a lot of them until America wises up and adds more justices to the court. Something I was against for a long time. Sounded crazy. Not anymore. Democracy itself is on the chopping block. You guys know it. (laughs) It's time to start fighting like Republicans. Speaking of fighting like Republicans, have y'all noticed? I'm a little worried about our friends. They're, well, they, they, they seem to have a little bit of a violence on their minds. Donald Trump? Marjorie Taylor Greene, I, I think these people might have unresolved issues. Donald Trump did a rally over the weekend. It's, it's worth seeing. Uh, he was very lifelike. Um, there's a picture of him uh, meeting Tudor Dixon, and it looks like Tudor Dixon has been given the gift of a life-size Donald Trump statue made of processed meats. But before Trump came out, America's sweetheart, Marjorie Taylor Greene, was one of the opening acts. And Marge... Well, Marge is saying a lot of stuff that's not true. When you hear this, you might ask yourself, why would she say this? And then you'll realize why she's getting right-wing people ready to think they're being attacked so they won't think twice about committing acts of violence on others. Here she is, Donald Trump's opening act. We're all targets now, though, for daring to push back against the regime. And it doesn't stop at a weaponized legal system. I'm not going to mince words with you all. Democrats want Republicans dead, and they've already started the killings. An 18-year-old boy was run down by a Democrat driver who confessed to killing the teenager simply because he was a Republican. Okay, thank you very much, Chris. Even right here in Michigan just last week. Anyway, here's the whole game, right? This is the playbook. You get the wildest people in your party to think that Democrats are going to attack them. That's a guaranteed recipe for creating violence by the lunatic right wing fringe. So you'd think that other Republicans would be embarrassed by this, right? I mean, (laughs) you'd, you'd, you'd think that if you held someone like, oh, I don't know, the former governor of Florida, now a senator, Rick Scott, to account, he might condemn such odious talk. Give a quick listen on CBS's Face the Nation. Well, I think what we got to do is we got to bring everybody together. I'd also say that what Vice President Harris said yesterday that our day before yesterday that, you know, if, if you have a different skin color, you're going to get relief. That's faster. not what the, that does, that's, that's not, not what the vice either. president so said. I think what we've got to do. That's not what the vice president said. She talked about yeah, equity exactly and the problem meant. within FEMA. But I'm specifically asking you about Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and no, 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 President wait, no, Trump. Wait, 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 Margaret, Margaret, let's make sure FEMA has to be colorblind. Mm-hmm. FEMA has to provide support to everybody. Now, I here's what I here's what I'll tell you. I believe that we've got to do. President Trump has talked about this unbelievable spending that's causing inflation hurting the poorest families. I grew up in a poor family. I watched inflation hurt my mom. We've got to ha- watch how we spend this money. I know, uh, sir. So gotta, you're talking about, sir. You're talking about substance, and I would love to talk to you about that. But what I quoted you was a phrase saying McConnell has a death wish. He said racist things about Elaine Chao. And then they have already started the killings. I mean, that's not a policy dispute, Senator. Uh, The language is is what I'm talking about. Isn't that dangerous? I I, I think we all have to figure out how do we start bringing people together and have a common goal to give every American the opportunity to get a great job, their kids to have an education. They believe they can be anything and make sure everybody lives in a safe community. That's what I do every day. And I've tried to bring people together to do that. Weasel, weasel, weasel. Do you see how he dodges? Do you see how he will not ever criticize anything Donald Trump says, anything Marjorie Taylor Greene says? And what was it? That she was referencing that Trump had said, well, I know all of you guys are big fans of Truth Social and you spend your weekends there like all the cool kids do. But uh, Donald Trump is doing his best to rip the Republican Party in half. 
His hatred for Mitch McConnell blinds him. This is why I keep telling liberals, get out of their way. Stop trying to ruin Donald Trump. Let him out there. Let him wreck the party, please. But um, he had a posting that, you know, again, it's one of those Trump postings where it surprises you and then you realize, no, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, But he talks about how Mitch McConnell approving all these trillions of dollars worth of Democrat sponsored bills without even the slightest bit of negotiation because he hates Donald J. Trump and he knows I am strongly opposed to them. Or is he doing it because he believes in the fake and highly destructive Green New Deal? Okay, anyway, nonsense. He gets to the end, though. In any event, either reason is unacceptable. He meaning McConnell, has a death wish, must immediately seek help and advise, not advice, he wrote advice, from his China-loving wife, Coco Chow. That, what you just heard, was a former president of the United States playing footsie with inciting violence against the minority leader of the United States Senate and launching a racist attack on the leader's wife, who had served in his own cabinet. Elaine Chow. He called her Coco Chow. Not the first time he's done that lately. So so any kind of threatening post by Donald Trump after January 6th is pathetic. And it's so stupid because it's just digging his grave even deeper with historians. The racist attack on his own cabinet member? Donald Trump has turned a once great political party into a reality distortion field. And he's trying to drag the rest of the party with it. And ordinarily, I'd say, let him do it. The problem is... They're going to try and hurt a lot of other people on the way out. Hear about Stuart Rhodes, leader of the Oath Keepers Militia. He and four other members of his charming group of incels, uh, they're, they're going to present a really interesting defense when they go on trial for seditious conspiracy in the attack on our capital. They're going to say that when the Oath Keepers armed themselves and showed up with all those guns and made plans to rush into D.C. on January 6th, they believed they were going to be following legal orders from the president himself. This is their defense. The lawyers have begun jury selection. The Oath Keepers were waiting on January 6th for Trump to actually invoke the Insurrection Act, which is that revolutionary era law that grants the president wide powers to deploy the military to quell unrest in emergencies. They weren't going there to shoot motherfuckers for fun. They were going there to shoot people because they thought Donald Trump would deputize them. What has happened to men in the Republican Party? I mean, they're all these child men, these boys, guys, homies and dudes, the bravado, the bald eagle wallpaper fetish. And they're all cowards. They're all terrified. I mean, remember Eric Greitens, that ad when he and a bunch of guys have AR-15s and they break into a house hunting for rhinos? (laughs) Here's how weak and fragile the manhood of the modern Republican Party is. New analysis from the Center for American Progress Action Fund found at least 104 political ads right now running for Congress, governor or attorney general in 2022, where the Republican candidates show guns or weapons. 104 ads. Now, a lot of these ads have implicit or explicit threats against political opponents, threats against the government. I mean, it's so pathetic. It's so unmanly. The theater of it all. Like... (laughs) Of the 104 identified ads, more than half feature Republicans holding sniper rifles, blow torches, or assault weapons, just like the ones we saw in Uvalde or Highland Park or Buffalo. About a quarter of these 104 Republican ads running this year include threats like like one ad was considered uh, as making a threat of a candidate metaphorically targeted individuals or political affiliations or institutions or agendas with their weapons or showed a firearm while saying they were going to do anything to fight their opponent. At least 11 Republican ads leveled threats against our government. Five of them promoted AR-15s. Four of them featured minors with guns. How weak the manhood that they've got to hold their props to appear macho. You know how they say that women get dressed up and put on makeup, not for men, but for other women. Well, weak, fake Christian beta males have to pose with guns for other weak men because they can't get elected on issues. They have to use symbols, as George Carlin said, for the symbol minded. And right now, the House January 6th committee They had to postpone the hearing because of Ian, but they're going to meet this week and show a video of Roger Stone, Trump's right hand guy for years, saying out loud, fuck the voting. Let's get right to the violence. 
This was shot right before the votes were even counted in 2020. Roger Stone says on tape, shoot to kill. See an Antifa, shoot to kill. Fuck them. Done with this bullshit. His words. Recorded by Danish filmmakers Frederick Marbell and Christopher Goldbranson. And it's just clips of Donald Trump's right-hand stooge glorying in the idea of more bloodshed. He said, once there's no more election, there's no reason why we can't mix it up. These people are going to get what they've been asking for. I mean, this, while we see the Oath Keepers on trial for seditious conspiracy, which is like a civil war charge, but their goal was to stop by whatever means necessary the lawful transfer of presidential power, said the assistant U.S. attorney Jeffrey Nessler during his opening statement today. They did not go to the Capitol to defend or help. They went to attack. And we were Democrats in all this running on issues, not wagging around guns because they're so ashamed of their tiny white Republican penises. Democrats aren't giving death threats to Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. Democrats didn't try to hang Mike Pence. Democrats aren't trying to make it easier for criminals and deranged people to have incredibly easy access to AR-15s. Democrats didn't launch a terrorist attack against the U.S. Capitol. Roughly 114 Capitol Police officers reported injuries as a result of the terrorist attack on our Capitol on January 6, 2021. And Democrats aren't the ones screaming trial by combat. These upcoming elections will be about a lot more than the fate of the filibuster or the fate of women's reproductive rights or the fate of democracy itself. These upcoming elections will be history's IQ test for this country. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. No matter what you're going through right now, you're, you're probably having a better year than Vladimir Putin. As we discussed last Friday, uh, Putin announced that Russia was going to annex Zaporizhia, Donetsk, Luhansk, and the Kherson uh, during a ceremony at the Grand Kremlin Palace. It was, if you saw it, the most crazy anti-U.S. speech I've ever heard Vladimir Putin give. This comes after he invades this country that he wasn't supposed to invade. The invasion was botched. The world rallies against him in ways we've never seen. The comedian elected president of the smaller country he was supposed to cakewalk is now a folk hero. NATO stronger than ever. Finland and Sweden join NATO. Uh, his orders to mobilize hundreds of thousands of Russian service members have have led to a mass exodus of people from his country. And he tops it off by having these phony referendums in occupied portions of Ukraine that he doesn't actually have military control of yet. It's like Kanye West is going to come up to him and just say, boy, you're making too many bad choices this year. Maybe, just maybe, it's time for Putin to go. I'm so thrilled to have David Rothkopf back on the show. He is CEO of the Rothkopf Group, a media company that produces podcasts, including the great Deep State Radio, which he hosts. He joined the Clinton administration as Deputy Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade Policy and Development, later served as Acting U.S. Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade, and he's written many books, including Running the World, The Inside Story of the National Security Council, and The Architects of American Power as well as Traitor, A History of Betraying America, from Benedict Arnold to Donald Trump. Now, his new book, American Resistance, The Inside Story of How the Deep State Saved the Nation, is going to be coming out November 1st, and I'm thrilled to talk to him about that. But tonight, it's all about his essential new piece in The Daily Beast, Putin Has Left the World, No Other Option But Regime Change. Mr. Rothkoff, welcome back. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Thank you. And thank you for writing this piece. I, I immediately thought of a couple of months ago in the spring when Joe Biden said, for God's sakes, Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power. Right away, we saw a lot of pearls being clutched. 
uh, and the White House trying to backtrack it and saying, well, he was just talking about uh, Putin's power overseas, not necessarily regime change. People really were afraid that he'd made another gaffe. As you point out, that wasn't a gaffe at all, was it? That was Biden just speaking the truth. Yeah, he does that. Periodically, he'll say something like, you know, we'll we'll help Taiwan if China attacks it. And people go, oh, my God. But 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 of course we will. And, uh, you know, whether that means troops on the ground or not, we can have a debate about that. But but essentially what he's trying to do is say, hey, China, don't attack Taiwan. And he was doing the same thing here. You know, here is Putin. Uh, He's been a horrible threat to the world for 20 years. He invaded, you know, with, you know, uh, destroyed um, cities there. Uh, uh, you know, killed uh, or was associated with killing of thousands of people, invaded Georgia. Now he has uh, uh, been involved in a war for eight years in Ukraine. He kills his own people with impunity. He's a dictator. He's a terrible guy. Of course, the president of the United States should say he should go. Of of course he should. Um, And, uh, you know, should that be the policy of the United States publicly? I don't know. We 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 can debate that. Um, but one of the nice things about Joe Biden is he's not, you know, doing everything by focus group. Uh, exactly. He's, he's trying to figure out the right thing to do. And he doesn't you know, we pulled out of Afghanistan. He knew it'd be messy, but he ended a 20 year war. That's a good thing. And, and I think this was a good thing. As you point out, there, there are signs the president understands clearly the reality on the ground and U.S. interests. And, it, you know, it certainly seemed when he made the statement in May that he was saying Putin really has to go. Um, you write it's been clear that the Russian dictator must be removed from office for a long time now. And you, you give a lot of very compelling reasons. Uh, the biggest one may be that he's a serial war criminal. I mean, how many civilians killed in Chechnya? 50,000? How many Russian troops marched to their death as cannon fodder? 14,000 then? Um, you say he's one of the worst the world has seen in the modern era. That's not usually enough, though, to get someone out of office, is it? Well, it's not. And I don't know that we have the tools to get him out of office. But should it be our objective that he leave office? That I, You know, I, I think it should be. And I, I you know, you can make that a judgment on several levels. You're not going to have peace in Ukraine so long as Putin's running Russia. You're not going to have Russia's neighbors feel secure so long as Putin's running Russia. You mentioned the speech he gave. He's given a couple now where he talks about Russian empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to have global security so long as Putin is running Russia. If you listen to that speech um, and and how he talked about the West as his enemies, he referred to, you know, sort of Satanism in the United States. I mean, it was it was deranged speech. So you're not going to have global security so long as that happens. With regard to the war crimes, you're not going to have justice so long as he remains in power. Um, and, you know, there are people who say, well, look, if you if you get rid of Putin, what are you going to end up with? And I'm like, well, you have a serial war criminal who's threatened the world, who says he wants to use nuclear weapons. Uh, who's a dictator, who's destroying his own country, the risk of leaving Putin in power is greater than the risks associated with getting rid of him. And, you know, we've tried the other approaches, right? For 20 years, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, have each tried different ways of getting along with Putin. You know, with, with Trump, it was you know, sort of getting down on his knees and saying, what do you want me to do, boss? And and, you know, none of those have stopped him from getting worse. So, you know, we finally found something that might. And that is support Ukraine, help Ukraine win the war, help it be unambiguous, push Putin out of every part of Ukraine, send a message to Russia that he's destroyed the army, that he's destroyed Russia's standing. Tell them that we're going to stand behind these sanctions until the problem is solved, not just until there's some kind of deal. And that's going to put pressure on Russia. And with some luck, it's going to lead to Russians doing what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And that is putting a change at the top because and this is the core thing. There is no future for Russia with Vladimir Putin atop the government. Were you surprised that Vladimir Zelensky said he wouldn't even discuss terms of a ceasefire with Russia as long as Putin remained 
the leader of the country. It just seemed like I, I know the guy's having a good year, but wow, to actually come out and say that seemed like a message delivered directly to the troops fighting for Russia. Well, and that's what he's doing. Zelensky recognizes that his role is to lead his country, um, but not just to lead them, but to lead them to victory. And that involves demoralizing the other side. Zelensky, of course, has an advantage over Putin. Every time Zelensky has said something, uh, it, you know, it has led to a success. Every time that Putin has done something in Ukraine, it has led to a failure. Zelensky has That's credibility. True. Putin has none. Putin only has lies right now. Zelensky is inspiring the world. You know, this this guy, and I'm sure this is the underpinning of your support for Ukraine, you know, could lead all countries to want to be led by comedians. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, David, about, you know, your your life studying this man and, and watching him over the past couple of decades. I have to say that he, as world leaders go, he's been to me maybe the shrewdest politician of my lifetime. Someone who, uh, to borrow a phrase, is, was wickedly great. I mean, the fact that he would just take over these countries and world leaders would have nothing to say about it, be it Obama, be it Bush. To see the sophistication of the program to hack our election in 2016. I mean, the Blacks for Hillary Facebook page was Russia. It was just so brilliantly executed. I'm dying to ask you, has it surprised you at all to see this man's incredible lack of game this year? For someone who's just seemed to be able to bulldoze his authoritarian way through decade after decade, it's just been humiliating misstep after humiliating misstep for the man. Well, first of all, he's he's been a kind of lousy president for for Russia from the beginning. Sure. The economy has not done well. Uh, the people of Russia have uh, suffered. Uh, there's been a lot of brain drain prior to the war in Ukraine. Uh, there's been successive crackdowns on free speech because there have been more and more people who wanted to speak out against him. He's had to kill off serially um uh, uh more and more members of the opposition because he's more and more afraid of the opposition so That's he's right. not doing so well domestically internationally he was pretty um uh, uh, uh thorough as a as a bully but in destroying chechnya or in lining up with assad or in grabbing a little slice of georgia he didn't improve life for russians very much all he did was distract them. You know, he created this myth that Russia was the empire he said it was uh, and acting like a bully um, uh, sort of helped him uh, sell that story until you examined it and said, well, what has Russia gained? It didn't gain much. Um, so, you know, when he went ahead in, in Ukraine, um, you know, I didn't. And this started, by the way, eight years ago in, in 2014. I didn't yes. think it was going to go very well. Uh, he did have the advantage of the fact that he had, you know, inherited a country that had more nuclear weapons than any other country. Uh, and he used that fairly effectively in managing not just U.S. presidents, but uh, European leaders as well, uh, who, you know, placated him and 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 so forth. The one area I think he was pretty good at um, was, you know, drawing on his experience as a, a KGB agent. You know, he they, you know, the the the. The, the secret operations to influence Western democracies, whether yes. it was what you referred to or, you know, the supporting Trump over Hillary or supporting Brexit or supporting uh, some of the folks that just won election in Italy or supporting Orban in Hungary or uh, Marine Le Pen in France. That that is weakened democracy in, in the West. It's weakened the Western alliance. And if he had stuck with that, you know, I might I might be agreeing with you, you know, if he'd stuck with, you know, just trying to use these kind of operations to undermine the West, I might say, you know, he's sort of punching above his weight. Hmm. But the, the catastrophe of Ukraine is going to go down as one of the great self-inflicted wounds by any world leader uh, at any time. He took an army that everybody thought was the second best army in the world. Um, and convinced everybody by its ineptitude that it was uh, poorly funded, poorly trained, poorly equipped, nothing like the super 
superpower army we thought it was. He has depleted his own resources. He's now turning millions in the country against him by drafting uh, people to go off to war without training or equipment. Uh, the sanctions are crushing his country. Uh, business people, celebrities are turning against him, even some of his own uh, uh, political leaders that have been allies with him are starting to raise questions. Mm-hmm. It's been a disaster. And the worst is yet to come for Vladimir Putin. You know, we just marked the passing of, uh, of President Gorbachev. And I, I couldn't help but think that when Boris Yeltsin was president of Russia, we all believed that it was going to be a new era of capitalism for the society. I, I think it's fair to say that their system is not capitalistic it's the most unhealthy parts of our capitalism on steroids it's oligarchs controlling things and their only real source of revenue appears to be oil what should americans understand about how the economic system in russia is different from ours well first of all you're right you know i was in the clinton administration and we responded to the end of the cold war just like most people did back then which was kind of euphoria and oh my god we won they lost everything's going to be fine um, uh, and they went through a period of who are we and who's running our country. And Yeltsin, um, you know, I think had some high aspirations, but was not up to it and was, you know, he was kind of a character, which we could talk about at some point, sure. um, you know, ar- arriving drunk in Washington and wandering out in front of the white house, trying to find a place he could go order a pizza. I mean, kind of a, <laughs> a strange character, but, um, Uh, When Putin took over, um, the country lurched in another direction. It wasn't capitalism. Uh, It was kleptocracy. It was mafiaism. You know, it was let's set up a few people close to the president. Let's grab everything that we can. Let's sell everything regardless of the impact uh, that it's got on uh, average citizens. And let's get as rich as we can. And You know, there are a lot of estimates that right now the richest man in the world is Vladimir Putin, which doesn't mean that he's earned it. He's stolen it. Vladimir Putin, in addition to everything we've mentioned, is the biggest thief on the planet Earth right now. That's why these sanctions, I think, deserve to have more notice than the American media has given them. When you're going after the heads of Russian banks, not just the banks themselves, but the personal finances of the people who manage this oligarch gangster economy. It really seems strategically targeted by the U.S. and its allies to really, I guess, stimulate regime change by those closest to Putin's inner circle. One would hope so. You know, we've had some experience with this in the past. You may recall in the late 90s, we were engaged in a war in the former Yugoslavia. We were trying to do everything we could to push Milosevic out of uh, power, and uh, it hadn't worked. And then the United States government a couple of people had this bright idea instead of just bombing things in, in, in Serbia that might have been of strategic value, let's bomb the factories of Milosevic's friends. And when we started bombing the factories of Milosevic's friends, guess what? Milosevic started getting a lot of phone calls like you got to stop this. This is killing us, buddy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just, that's that's what's happened here to some extent where um oligarchs and others have said hey you're you're squeezing us and you know some of those oligarchs who complained you know suffer from this phenomenon which uh, seems to be unique to russia seems to have you know greater um gravitational pulls in most places and they keep falling off of balconies and don't they falling though? down stairs and things multiple like that. flights of stairs last month yeah yeah they're unbelievably clumsy for very rich people but um uh, you know, this is this is how Putin sort of manages dissent in his country. Um, but there's going to be more dissent. You know, this is this is the thing. You know, if you take a million people who don't want to go fight a war uh, and you send them to a country where there's a very well-equipped army that wants to kill them, uh, you send them to a country they don't want to go to. They've got no bone to pick with them. Country's not threatening them in any way. And then they start watching their you know, friends and associates getting killed because they're ill-equipped, because they don't know what they're doing, because their leadership is terrible. Um, Those people are going to call home and they're going to say, oh, my God, mother, sister, brother, get me out of here. This is insane. 
And so essentially what Putin is doing, he's saying, I'm going to send hundreds of thousands of war reporters to Ukraine. And, and, and let's see what effect that has. He can't control the feedback from them with his propaganda machine. Absolutely. But then that that begs the question. I was most struck by the speech where he began trying to rally the world against America because transgender people forced him to invade Ukraine. That was essentially the argument he was making, the the satanic decadence of the West and people not knowing their genders or why we have to do this and I have to invade Ukraine. It's hard not to imagine the entire world seeing this as a bit of a mental crack up, but you do make a very important point in your piece that I I just want to close out on where you say acknowledging that Putin must go is not the same as making regime change a matter of public policy. And I'm glad you said that because it really helps to put Biden's comments last May into context. Um, Why is it that for governments, regime change should usually remain an unexpressed goal? Well, because you can't work with another government if you say, you know, we're going to uh, wait until, you know, there's new management. I mean, it's one thing for Zelensky to say it. he's in a war and Putin wants to destroy him, destroy his country, has said all sorts of horrible things about him. And, you know, his objective is to destroy his enemies. So that's one thing. But if the United States has got to work diplomatically with allies who have a range of views, um, then there's something, you know, one of the most important things in diplomacy that people don't uh, uh, sometimes understand is that some of the key things you do when you're a diplomat is what you don't say, um, what you don't feel you've got to say publicly, what you do behind the scenes. And a lot of the most important diplomacy happens when you set a goal, but you don't tell everybody your goal. You work towards that goal without, you know, um, creating a public debate about it. Uh, and I think that's that's what's necessary in this case is, you know, we have to accept that until Vladimir Putin is out of Russia, the world is not a safe place and this problem will not be solved. And, you know, a moment, you know, giving him an off ramp, as some people have suggested, and getting a momentary solution here is just going to lead to the next crisis like that. Mm-hmm. And we know it because Chechnya, Syria, Georgia and the past eight years of this war demonstrate it. And whether it's Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Moldova, there's going to be another problem. And uh, we've got to we've 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 got to uh, uh, we've got to recognize that and 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 get to a lasting solution. David, thank you so much for joining us. David Rothkopf's new piece in The Daily Beast is Putin has left the world. No other option but regime change. The new book, American Renaissance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation comes out November 1st. Please come back again and see us soon. I can't wait to discuss the book like I look forward to it. Thank you. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. Joined by our good friends, comedian Rhonda Hanson and comedian Scott Blakeman. Hello, folks. I I love being here with you. Uh, And the idea to be with Scott Blakeman every single night doing these shows. Scott and I go all the way back to the original Catch a Rising Star, you know, when when every single night it was, you know, one incredible headlining uh, nationally known comedian after another. And we're there standing in the back waiting for our turn to to go on and and shine. (laughs) I never got to play there. You know, I never got to my my I played there once. I auditioned for them, and then after they said I could go up that night, they told me it was the night they were closing. So the one time I played <laughs> at Catch was the last night they were running in Times Square. Yeah. Well, I, I always remember that feeling of waiting endlessly, whether it's Catch or, you know, comics or Dangerfields, anywhere, and you'd be standing next to all the 8 by 10s of smiling, successful comedians, and you're just standing, <laughs> am I ever going to get on? But uh, as I said earlier, this is a reunion, and, you know, uh, there's some – younger not younger newer comedians on the on the bill too but you know we go way back and again it's a look every comic i think it's a special bond we have you know if you meet them once but people like us who do we do and doing the political stuff like i said it's a very small group in in the grand scheme of things so to get to be together every night and i'm just looking like 
it's going to be different every night just from each of us. I mean, I, I just feel oh, yeah. like I'll have a whole new you know, act by, by November. And, 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 and just every day, as you say, <laughs> so much goes on. So it's just very exciting. And really, I can't think of something I'd wish for more than, than this. So it's, it's just going to be great. And it looks yeah, like a cold. It looks like a very cold fall. So I'm excited to go on stage with you guys every night uh, early, and then get off stage and hop on my bike at 8:30 to race home to do the radio. So it, everyone yeah. wants. Yeah, um, uh, to tell I'm telling people get there, uh, get there early so they can see you. I, I love that. Uh, you know, you'll be able to to start us off with a blast and then get on to to continue on with the serious. It, <laughs> yes, I'll really bring great. my I'll, I'll bring my flop sweat to the airwaves every night once I get <laughs> off stage. Uh, guys, I want to before we go to the phones, we're at 866-997-4748. I want to play a quick clip from the debate this weekend because Greg Abbott didn't want anyone to hear this debate. Greg Abbott made sure there were no audience members invited for his one debate with Beto O'Rourke. It seems like we're at a place now where the GOP is just trying to limit these campaigns to only one debate or no debates, which is really depressing. I think there should be debates every week. They should be on PBS. We should be sick of the debates. There should be so many. But of course, that's not how you win if you're on the fascist side. So here's Better O'Rourke and Greg Abbott meeting for their first debate this weekend. And here's O'Rourke reminding the good people of Texas exactly what Greg Abbott has done for them. A6. We need change. The governor just talked about mental health care. Um, we are dead last in the nation when it comes to mental health care access. And he took $211 million from the mental health care budget of the state of Texas. He'll talk about police funding. He failed to fund the police radios in Uvalde, even when that police department asked for them. And you know what? Those radios failed on that day. I want every parent out there to know that the lives of your children are more important to me than the NRA or any special interest or any other political consideration. I will prioritize them ahead of everything else, and we will take action and we will make progress. We'll bring Republicans, Democrats, independents alike together, and we'll get the job done where this governor has failed to do so. Boom. What do you guys feel about the midterms? The cruelty mm-hmm. is uh, is amazing. Uh, I uh, Ab, do you know Abbott has spent over twelve million dollars on on buses sending migrants across the country, and and even DeSantis has spent over uh, a million on migrant flights. I mean, I I am just so incensed. I I want to know who is getting all the reward miles for these people. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the, worst the taxpayers thing. of Florida and Texas. There's it's their money. You know that that debate, as you said, John. They were limited to 30 second answers because that's that's Abbott can only lie that long without, you know, getting out of breath. And then uh, <laughs> and then it's just the uh, uh, and a Friday night. Now, if you know, Friday night is the big night in Texas where everybody goes to watch a high school football game. Friday night light. So, as you say, they did every that's the whole goal. Of the Republican Party is to have people not hear how bad they are. And and the, as you said, Rhonda, too, the cruelty. I mean, look, you've always had bad Republicans policy wise, but the cruelty and just the the fact that Herschel Walker could be virtually tied with with Warnick in in, in Georgia. This is a guy who uh, I I mean, it's almost like the producers, you know, you you, you know, where they try to pick a horrible show to lose money. It's like that's how they pick candidates. Who would be the worst one? So he'll lose and I'll make money. But no, he's virtually tied. So uh, and DeSantis and Abbott is a cruelty that just goes beyond policy that is just so. Uh, and because, look, every politician has their own self-interest in some way. But these guys, it's only their self-interest. Let's just like oh, yeah. Trump. He has no real ideology other than Donald Trump. As he even said, I stand by nothing. So all of these people in his mold. So it's it's it really is unprecedented in my lifetime to see candidates like this. I mean, we had, you know, there were horrible people in the past. But no, but you you're know, right, Scott. It, it, to me, it's like the worst parts of the comment section have come to life and run for office and gotten elected. <laughs> yeah, right. Let, let's get a couple yeah, of callers well, to weigh in, shall we? Uh, Dylan is calling. Dylan, where are you joining us from tonight? From the big ABQ. How you guys? Right doing? on in the Burke. How are you, sir? Welcome. The Burke. The, the Burke. Uh, I'm good, man. Um, I just I just thought it was funny that you got this this Satan guy or whatever we want to call him, how he uh, he's sending migrants to Martha's Vineyard, and um, it looks like a bunch of his citizens uh, need a place to stay now, and um, he's doing mm-hmm. nothing to help them, and it's just ironic, isn't it? 
I know, right? Well, you know, it's especially ironic because those folks are now on the Air Force base in Cape Cod, the military base in Cape Cod, where Southerners got to stay who were displaced by Hurricane Katrina 17 years ago. And now mm-hmm. no one displaced from Florida could stay there because Ron DeSantis filled those beds. I know. Yeah, I, they need to be using this as campaign ads and, uh, you know, hit them where it hurts, because that's something that the Democratic Party needs to learn how to do is to be more aggressive when it comes to calling them out for their shitty policies. I got to say, I, Rhonda and Scott, I, I think we need to be, as liberals, come down a lot harder on Ron DeSantis's open border policy. Because he's pretty much encouraged <laughs> illegal immigration by promising migrants, hey, I'll give you a free plane trip to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> I I don't I don't understand how these uh, our immigration laws have just been thrown out the window. We have to have some sense of controlling uh, humanity and uh, and not treating people like uh, pawns on 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 a chessboard. You're right. it's very it's a very crazy situation and it's expensive it's very <laughs> expensive yeah well you know Rhonda and john i mean it's it this is uh i mean you both know this but um you know immigration and again watching the ken burns documentary i mean uh you know that there were many many you know the the, the situation people say is being a jewish american you know could they have done more and it wasn't Roosevelt, it was just there was no appetite. In fact, the vast majority of Americans did not want Jews into the country. And they used the That's same right. reasoning for Muslims today or That's whoever right. else you want to insert. And so this is, we're not allowed to re- learn about history anymore, thanks to Republicans and, you know, that, that they don't want fake critical race theory and all that. But seeing that in our history makes it a lot clearer. Immigration has always been the go-to and in, in, uh, all across the world to, to oh, yeah. gain political yeah. favor. And it's it's the most craven way to do it. Dylan, is your dog OK? Yeah, my dogs like to bark a lot. So I'm hanging out <laughs> with them in the back. I apologize it's, for the disturbance. No, please don't. They're, they're better than people. mine. They're better than mine. It's, ni- it's nice to hear from them. You know, I, I just think yeah. I just think that this is uh, this is the sort of thing that's a dividing line. Either you have the humanity and recognize these Christian refugees at our border or you're in the DeSantis camp. And, you know, they're illegals, even though they're not, and they are to be mistreated. To me, it's like it's the opposite of Christianity. And that's what makes me crazy yeah. about DeSantis. Exactly. And it's also pretty much the opposite. Hang on, hang on. D- Dylan, opposite, go ahead. Dylan, opposite. I'm sorry. Sorry. No, no worries. Yeah, I just um, I, I watched the Ken Burns documentary as well, and it was very good. And I, I appreciate John really promoting it. And um and it's the similarities between what's going on with migrants from the south of the border right now and what we were we were doing in World War II to the Jewish yeah. community is is uh, it's it's amazing how similar it is. So uh, that's it's, right. It, we really got to make sure we're uh, you know keeping on on top of it, looking at history, make sure we don't repeat it. Dylan, thank you so very much for the call, Scott. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say. You know, people say, oh, you're always bashing Republicans. Well, the Republican Party of George H. There was a debate between H.W. Bush and Reagan where they were trying to top each other. Who cared about immigration more? So this isn't, you know, the way it's always been. And truly. And that's why, look, as you know, John, I mean, with Dean and I, we do stand of peace. We're talking about bringing people together. But we're really at a point where there's certain people who just cannot be brought in. If you're a white supremacist, if you're. And the extreme, the, this this part of the Republican Party has to go away. I mean, it's not, mm. you, know, you can't reach across the aisle to people who want to, or insurrectionists. So, yeah, I don't uh, think so. I think it's always been there, and it's finally out in the open, and it likes the sunlight. I think it's always been lurking. You know, I always said Trump, America's an old couch, and Trump is the black light. Let me try to get one more call before the break. Sheila in Texas, welcome. What's going hey. on with your state? Hey, John. Um Hey, we're doing great. Um, the pundits won't let you know that because they just don't want you to know. But we're doing okay. great down here, and there's so many people out here doing so many good things, and I don't have time just to say. What did you think of the much, debate? But, pardon? What did you think of the Abbott-Beto debate? I was not surprised at all because they have nothing 
you know, they, they just don't have anything. They just don't. Yeah. They're horrible people, and you can't defend that. You just can't. And yeah. I love Beto, and he will call them out no matter what, no matter where. So I love right it. Right on. But um, I heard someone say something that made sense to me. The first thing that's made sense to me in several years now, but that the Republicans picked the most horrible people so <clears throat> that they can do these horrible things and sit in like the Herschel Walkers and whoever's and whoever's. And after they say they're stupid shit, then they play victim because people yeah. call them out because they're, they're saying stupid shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that just made so much sense to me. And it made me feel so much better now because I've been wondering what the fuck is wrong with people. <laughs> But also to the pundits on MSNBC, which I quit watching, my New Year's resolution was to stop watching that. And I started listening to my Sirius XM boombox, which I literally have one. Um, So anyway, that's when I started seriously listening to you guys. But they they kept saying, knock door, you know, go knock on doors, knock on doors. And I would just love to ask them to come down to Texas and go knock on somebody's door. I have been mm. doing this for 40 fucking years, and there is no fucking way you get me to go knock on somebody's door. I've done it a million <laughs> times, but I will never do it again now, not with these people. But thank anyway. You. Thank you, Celia. We got to hit a break, but I, I, I thank you for calling. Rhonda, go ahead. Nicola makes such a great point that we literally are under the spell of the charisma of stupidity. We really yes. are. Yeah, and the popularity of stupidity. Celia, you're the best. Thank you so very much. Uh, You know, Rhonda, you know, Scott, um, I'm really excited for these shows. Uh, I'm curious, what is the best way for people to get tickets if they want to come see Laughing Liberally Indictment Excitement Off-Broadway? I've almost got the title memorized. Yeah, indictment, excitement. It's fun to say. It's fun to spell. You know, you should go to... (laughs) indictmentexcitement.com but you can actually come down to the box office and get your ticket th- that night too so and actually you know the seats started $20 for actually for the first two rows which I would think would be the best rows to be right close to the action um, mm. so it, it's it's affordable and there's a lot of you know great pricing options and uh, you know it's nothing like live comedy you know, and we it's cathartic for us. It'll be cathartic for the audience. And we're going to touch on all the things that are going on, but also be hopeful and make you laugh about it. It's not good. You outraged and be more depressed. You'll feel good when you get out of there, which is a pretty good accomplishment. Good. Considering the times we live in. Cause I'm going to come in there. Is and, healing. Laughter I'm going to come in there and I'm going to tear shit up. Scott Blakeman. It's so good to have you back on the show. You maybe want to do more zoom panels with comics. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your comedic doings, sir. Uh, well, you can check me out at scottblakeman.com or on uh, Twitter at Scott Blakeman. And also check out my podcast with Tom Saunders, Getting Through This with Tom and Scott. Very nice. And Miss Rhonda Handsome. Our listeners are already deeply devoted to you. But what's the best way to follow you and keep up with your work? I like the old folks to check out Rhonda Handsome Comedy on Facebook. And uh, I am Rhonda Full on Instagram. Uh, and on Twitter, they can check out at Rhonda Handsome, like a handsome man without the D. You don't need it, sister. You don't need the D. Okay, quick break. We'll be right back with some final thoughts and final calls. Scott and Rhonda, so great to see you. This is Progress. I'm John Fiegel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. Bill in New Jersey, I can give you about a minute as we draw to a close. What's on your mind? Hi. Oh, hi, that's too bad. I just wanted to mention quickly that uh, Martha's Vineyard uh, has long for generations been a place for uh, black people to uh, recreation. So tells DeSantis that. And, oh, um, good. And uh, I was at a city, city hall a council meeting tonight, and all the... Uh, people running for council were up there talking and one guy said you know what's missing humility there is no humility in any of these elections anymore and then i realized that uh yeah people who have humility can connect with victims whereas the magas pretend to be the victims yes and uh 
That's a great it, point. You know, that's insane. Look, I think that's one. Of, I think that's one of Joe Biden's greatest strengths: his ability to connect with people through loss. His empathy is off the right. charts. Right, right. Well, he loves people. Yeah. Uh, how about that? Um, Love it. But uh, any anyway, that that's pretty much what I had to say. Bill, you made my night, and I thank you for ending it on a, on a note more intelligent and graceful than anything I could manage. I want to thank Chris Hauselt for being our executive producer all night long. Sean Bertolo has been helping running this thing. My God, I'm grateful to that guy, too. Thea, we hope, is back tomorrow. I'm John Fugelson. Keep it tuned to Progress for all the great programming. I want to thank all of tonight's guests, including David Rothkopf and uh, Rhonda Handsome and Scott Blakeman. I'm John Fugelson. Keep it tuned to Progress. And remember, if you believe easier access to guns leads to less gun violence, you probably think less access to birth control leads to fewer abortions. We'll see you tomorrow.